Gosh Pods, paediatric educational podcast series from Great Ormond Street Hospital. Gosh Pods are brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. So welcome back to Great Ormond Street Educational Podcast Series. My name is Sarah Warayich and today we're joined by Dr. James Davison, who is one of our metabolic consultants at Gosh. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about acute neonatal emergencies, metabolic emergencies to be precise. So, Dr. Davison, how do we identify a neonate with acute metabolic problems? So I think it's a really important question. Um, and whenever we're faced with a sick neonate, um, there is a, a broad range of differential things that we'll be thinking about. And obviously, high in the differential diagnosis, we'll have sepsis and maybe hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy if there's been a difficult delivery um, cardiac disease, congenital cardiac disease. But also in the differential diagnosis for any um, very sick um, neonate, um, it would be very important that we're considering metabolic conditions, inherited metabolic disorders as part of that um, differential, because the presentation of the sick baby with a metabolic disorder may not look initially very different from any of those other um, categories. And so it will be really important that we're considering in our workup for any sick neonates, um, particularly if they've, been, if they've been well to start with and then have become unwell, um, that we think about metabolic as part of our differential diagnosis. Okay, great. So how do we then begin to approach a patient who we think has a metabolic problem? So I think the first thing is clearly the history and what's going on with the baby, and it's important to know what the background is. Um, the family history is important. If there's any family history of any other affected siblings or, or cousins, if the, if the parents are related as well, that's an important factor, although um, metabolic conditions can equally affect children who've come from non-consanguineous parents. Um, the pregnancy history is important if there were any unusual features noted during the pregnancy, any problems on any of the antenatal scans or testing, if the mother noted any differences during the pregnancy, um, and then the delivery itself. It's important to know whether there are any complicating factors, any uh, sepsis risk factors, um, any other abnormalities or difficulties during the delivery. Um, one of the telling features of metabolic conditions, as I've said already, is that there's often this period of time where the baby is born initially well, but then becomes unwell. Um, and that's because many of the metabolic conditions only manifest once the baby is uh, born and detached from the, the placenta, which operates effectively as a dialysis unit. And so after that period of time, some of the toxins will build up and the baby can become unwell. Some of the early features of a baby becoming unwell with a metabolic condition may be very non-specific. So the baby may be floppy and more lethargic, not waking for feeds. It may start vomiting. Um, and then that may progress to a baby who's becoming more and more lethargic, may become comatose. Seizures may be a, a feature as well. Um, and there may be abnormalities of the, the breathing pattern that become um, evident as well. Um, the, so those are some of the, the very non-specific features that may look like sepsis, but as I said, it could be metabolic. So that's why we need to have a very um, low threshold for including some early metabolic testing. Great. So what kind of testing are we talking about here? So I think if we're concerned that the baby may have a, a metabolic condition, there are some tests that are very specialised metabolic tests, but the ones that are more important are those bedside tests that we can get done very easily. And so the tests that are really important that any sick neonate would have done would include uh, the blood glucose, make sure there's no hypoglycemia. Um, uh, it would be important to have a blood gas to identify any metabolic acidosis. And as part of that, checking what the anion gap is. We can talk about that in a moment. Um, and also then bloods to measure the lactate 
um, and a blood for ammonia as well. And those are the critical tests, and um, together with, if possible, a ketones, either a urine dipstick or a blood ketone. And those things should be part of a screen for any sick neonate to try and identify early any metabolic derangement. Okay, and so what kind of derangement are we looking for in each of those categories? So blood glucose, sometimes many of the conditions may present with hypoglycemia, so low blood glucose. And is there a particular value that, or below a certain value that you're worried about? Um, so we would be concerned, and the classical value is less than 2.6 millimole per litre, um, but to be honest, in the context of a sick neonate, we would be um, looking to see and anything less than three, we'd be thinking, okay. could, there be, could that be a sign of metabolic um, problems. Obviously, hypoglycemia in neonates is very common. And if that's just an isolated feature in an otherwise well baby, um, we would manage it as per the standard protocol. But if it's part of a, the whole picture of a baby being very unwell, we would consider that. The blood gas could show a range of different abnormalities. Um, you may be seeing an evolving metabolic acidosis um, with a, a pH that is, is lower than the normal limit, um, with a, a significant base deficit. Um, a low bicarbonate, um, and you may see a low CO2 on the gas as well, which is a respiratory compensation of the baby's breathing more quickly to try and compensate for the metabolic acidosis. Um, we mentioned that the anion gap is an important part of the blood gas, um, which you can calculate if it's not provided by the blood gas automatically, which is the sodium plus the potassium take away the bicarbonate and the chloride. That's important because if the anion gap is raised, so if it's above 20 millimole per litre, and um, that would suggest that the metabolic acidosis is due to the accumulation of an acid in the blood that isn't normally there. So that could be lactate or an organic acid. Um, whereas a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis suggests that the acidosis is there because you're losing bicarbonate. So that might be a renal cause or a GI cause. So the anion gap is, an, is a helpful um, component to be looking at. Um, we mentioned the lactate. That's another important um, metabolite that we can measure. Many neonates will have a raised lactate, particularly if there's been some degree of hypoxic um, event during the delivery, but then that will settle down. But the baby that's got a persistent and maybe rising lactate with very high levels could be suggestive of a, a metabolic disorder. And the numbers can be very high, and a baby that's had a very stormy, difficult delivery, who's been hypoxic during the, the delivery, will have a high lactate that could be 10, 15 millimole per litre, um, immediately after birth, but in that situation you'd expect over the first 24 to 48 hours that the baby's lactate would start to, to normalise. But a baby who's been otherwise well, who hasn't got that background of hypoxia, uh, may have a lactate that's elevated maybe 3, 4, 5 millimole per litre, and if that's persistent that could be significant. So the absolute value is um, needs to be taken into a consideration of the whole picture, the whole context of the, of the baby and which direction the lactate is going in. Okay. And then we talked about ammonia. Ammonia is another important um, metabolite that's really important to screen quickly and early in any sick neonate. Um, any baby that's unwell may have an ammonia that's higher than the normal range um, just because they're generally unwell. So the normal range varies from lab to lab, but generally less than 50 micromole per litre will be considered normal. It could be up to 100, 150 in a sick neonate without it having a metabolic disorder. But if it's a baby who's got a high ammonia level, certainly if it's above 150, it's really important that another sample is sent urgently to see if that's a real value and whether it's climbing um, quickly. The other important thing to say about ammonia is that the test has to be a venous sample. A capillary sample will give you a false high reading. So we need a free-flowing um, venous sample that's sent to the lab straight away on ice to give us the most accurate reading. So those are all the different 
uh, parameters. And I also mentioned the ketones. That's a very helpful test. Babies shouldn't have high ketones. And if you have a baby with a high ketone value, either in a urine dipstick, maybe one plus, two plus, three plus ketones, or some centres will have a capillary gluca, uh, sorry, a capillary blood ketone monitor that could also give us values. If they're elevated, that could be again suggestive of a, a metabolic disorder. And so those are the initial screening tests that we're going to be doing at the bedside or in our labs locally. And if there's concerns from those that there may be a, a metabolic disorder, that's when we'd be then moving on to the more specialist investigations uh, than basic metabolic screen, uh, where you may be taking advice from the metabolic team, but samples that we'd be wanting to collect would be plasma for amino acids, urine for organic acids, and the blood spot card, the Guthrie card, to be sent for a acyl carnitine profile. And those are the, the, the core samples. And also sometimes we suggest storing a DNA sample at an early stage so that if we need to do any genetic testing subsequently, we've got a sample that's been collected before the baby's then gone on to have any blood products. And so that can be a useful um, additional test. And there may be other tests that the metabolic team suggests depending on the, the situation, but that would be the initial basic test that we'd get sent off. So a lot of the early management is going to be um, very similar, whichever of the metabolic conditions we're thinking about. Um, and often because the specialist tests take several days to come back, we're having to manage babies um, in a generic approach before we've got a, a specific diagnosis. Um, the initial approach to management is the same for any sick baby. So we're going to have an ABC approach to start off with. Um, some of the babies will need respiratory support just because of how sick they are. Um, so many of the babies will end up being uh, ventilated if, if that's indicated. Um, we support circulation in the same way for any other baby. They may require a fluid bolus if they've got evidence of circulatory compromise um, and then we would start to address the specific metabolic aspects of the management um, we've checked the blood glucose and if that's low it's important that we correct that so they would have a standard bolus of uh, two mils per kilo of 10 percent dextrose given to correct hypoglycemia um, and then the generic approach we take to uh, managing the baby potentially who's got a high ammonia with a metabolic acidosis would be um, having supported airway, breathing and circulation, the next step is to stop any protein. And um, the reason for that is that all of the conditions that we're considering at this stage are disorders that relate to protein metabolism. And so we stop giving the babies protein. So that means stopping their normal feeds. If it happens to be a baby who's on TPN, being mindful that there's protein in the TPN, so we would stop that to take away the source of protein that's potentially driving the problem. And we then would want the babies to be on intravenous fluids, receiving a good amount of dextrose to try and turn off um, the catabolism, to stop them breaking down protein. So we would put babies onto intravenous fluids with 10% dextrose and plus electrolytes, making sure that they're receiving at least seven milligrams per kilo per minute of glucose, if we calculate the glucose delivery. And um, that's aiming, as I say, to make them anabolic, to switch off the catabolism to help them um, to stop breaking down the protein. So we've stopped the feeds, stopped the protein, put them onto intravenous fluids, um, and then we'll be addressing um, other aspects of those different tests that we've looked at. So if they've got a very significant metabolic acidosis, which hasn't improved when we've given them some fluid resuscitation, um, then we may be considering giving a half correction with sodium bicarbonate um, and monitoring what's happening with their, with their blood gas. The baby who we've seen has got a high ammonia, um, there'll then be some specific management that we need to consider and I'd like to focus on the high ammonia situation because that's really important that management is, is done quickly to try and protect the baby's um, outlook and outcome uh, longer term. 
So the typical presentation, as we've said, may be a baby who's been born at term, who was well at, after a normal delivery, may have gone home feeding, but then has become unwell perhaps on day two or three of life with poor feeding, vomiting, um, becoming more lethargic, uh, may have had a seizure and has been screened with those tests um, and has been found to have a high ammonia. And if we say for um, this situation, the baby's ammonia was 350 micromole per litre, that would be a significantly high ammonia that warrants us to undertake further management quite urgently. We've stopped the feeds, we've put them on the fluids, um, and then we'll be considering what we need to do to try and get that ammonia level down. Um, and there are a number of approaches to that. Um, some of them are, are medications, and some babies um, we need to progress to use hemofiltration or a form of dialysis to get the high ammonia level down. Um, having recognised the high ammonia, we want to act quickly because we know that the higher the ammonia is and the longer it is high, the more uh, neurological damage might accrue uh, for that baby. So we want to treat it very quickly. Um, you'll be doing this in conjunction and with advice from the metabolic teams on call. Um, but there are different drugs that we would be using and starting to try and treat that ammonia. Um, there are two drugs that we use that are called um, ammonia scavengers. They're drugs that help the body clear ammonia out um, without needing to use the urea cycle. And the reason we're using those drugs is because we're considering that the babies may have a problem with the normal urea cycle, which is the, the liver metabolism pathway that clears out ammonia, which is a waste product from, from protein. Those two drugs, sodium benzoate and sodium phenylbutyrate, um, we would be giving as intravenous infusions, loading doses, followed by continuous infusions to try to get the ammonia down. Um, and there's specific guidelines for the dosing of those which are available, uh, widely available on the internet, on the BIMDG website, bimdg.org.uk. And also the metabolic team can advise on the specific dosing over the phone as well. So we'd be starting those drugs. And, and we also give um, an infusion, the loading infusions and continuous infusions of arginine. Um, arginine is another um, amino acid that is produced in the urea cycle. I mean, if you have a block in the urea cycle, you can't produce that. So we have to give that um, to try and optimise the, the function. And then the other drug that we will give is carnitine, levocarnitine. And again, that's given um, as an initial loading dose followed by an infusion. Um, and that's because that's a drug that we use um, for another group of conditions, the organic acid um, disorders. Um, and carnitine helps to bind on and remove some of the organic acids. So that's useful in the management of, of of those conditions and as we don't know at this stage which of the disorders we're treating we start management to cover for all of them. So those are the four intravenous drugs that we'll be starting with loading doses and infusions and then seeing how the ammonia responds with another test after uh, two or three hours and um, if we're not seeing a prompt improvement in the ammonia if it's continuing to rise and certainly if it's above 400 or so micromole per litre we'll be considering that the baby is likely to need hemofiltration to help get that ammonia level down and that would require um, uh, an admission to the intensive care unit where hemodialysis can be undertaken. So the, uh, the additional drug that we would also consider giving is carglumic acid um, which is only available as an enteral drug so it's given um, usually via an NG tube. Um, carglumic acid is a, a, an analogue of the normal chemical we have that promotes the urea cycle function so it's the activating step for the urea cycle. And we know that in some babies who've got either a specific defect of the production of that chemical or babies who've got an organic acid disorder and um, giving that drug can help to stimulate the normal function of the urea cycle and um, so that you can try to lower the ammonia by prompting the function of the 
the urea cycle. So as I say, either for children who've got a very specific disorder of the urea cycle called NAGS deficiency, who can't make the normal N-acetyl glutamate, which is the stimulant for the urea cycle, or children who've got an organic acid disorder such as propionic acidemia, um, who we know have high ammonia levels in part because um, the urea cycle is inhibited by the toxins that are building up. That drug, carglumic acid, helps to promote urea cycle function and helps therefore to lower the ammonia level. So again, we'll give that as a test dose effectively to babies to try and get the ammonia down. And if we see a prompt response to that, that would be continued as well. So those are the, the different drugs that we're using. Um, and really where we go with management after that depends on the trajectory of the ammonia level. Many babies will end up needing to come to the intensive care unit for hemodialysis. If they're not needing hemodialysis, they would still need to be transferred to the metabolic specialist center for further management. Um, and where we'd be going after we've got the ammonia down after maybe 24, 48 hours is looking to the longer term management of the, the condition. We would also hope by this point that we would start to get some of our results back from the, spe the specialist metabolic tests, um, which are going to help us think through the differential diagnosis specifically of the types of disorders that we're considering. And for the baby with a very high ammonia, we've mentioned in passing some of the conditions, but the big groups of metabolic conditions that we'd be considering would be the urea cycle disorders. So those are the conditions that affect one of the enzyme steps of the urea cycle itself. And the urea cycle is, um, operates in the liver and helps to remove and detoxify ammonia, which is the normal waste product from protein catabolism. And if one of the enzyme steps in the urea cycle is, is missing, the urea cycle can't work. And so you get a very high ammonia level. So the urea cycle defects are uh, one of the big groups. The second big group that we've mentioned in passing are the organic acidemias or organic acidurias. And these are conditions where one of the earlier steps in protein or amino acid breakdown um, isn't working. Um, the organic acids are normal um, uh, components of the metabolic pathways, and if there's a block immediately after one of the organic acids has been produced, it will accumulate because the body can't further metabolize it. And as it's an acid, it causes acidosis and will also inhibit the um, urea cycle, which is partly why they have um, very high can, de can develop very high ammonia levels. And so we'd be looking at our urine organic acid sample to give us an identification of the specific acids that are accumulating. And again, the types of conditions that this would include uh, would be things like propionic acidemia or methylmalonic acidemia, and some of the, uh, the commoner ones that we see. But there are a, a range of different organic acid disorders. So those are the two big groups that we consider. But there are other metabolic conditions that can also give high ammonia levels, and we'd be thinking about the fatty acid oxidation defects, some other rarer amino acid transporter defects. Um, and it's also important that there can be other non-metabolic causes of a high ammonia. So there can be some anatomical uh, reasons. If you have a persistent ductus venosus, so you get a shunt around the liver, that can cause a persistently mildly raised ammonia. Um, a baby who's got very significant liver failure can also have a high ammonia and we think particularly about the neonate who's developed um, herpes simplex um, infections who can have fulminant liver failure with very high ammonia levels. There's also a, a phenomenon called transient hyperammonemia of the newborn, um, which is a fairly um, loosely described um, condition where we see a baby who's had a high ammonia, which has then disappeared 
uh, very quickly without and sometimes without specific management and in whom we don't find a metabolic disorder um, I think a baby with a high ammonia warrants very careful um, investigation and I'm still not convinced that that's a, a true entity in itself and there may be another as yet unidentified explanation for that but it's certainly a, um, a description that's given to some to some babies so we'll be hoping to have some of the results back from our test that we've sent off I mentioned the organic acids which will help to identify the organic acid disorders the specific urea cycle defects will um, be detected on our plasma amino acid profile the, the amino acids are the different steps that we see in the urea cycle and depending which ones are high which ones are low will help us to pinpoint exactly which urea cycle it, defect it is the fatty acid oxidation defects will be diagnosing on our carnitine profile that we've sent off so that's the reason we've sent off all those different tests at the start to try and help identify which of the conditions it is and then when we have a specific diagnosis we can then hone out our management specifically um, and some of the drugs we may then uh, rationalise depending on which of the conditions we've identified. So what is the long-term management and prognosis for children who have these metabolic conditions? So those are two very important questions and um, perhaps we'll touch on the prognosis to start with and um, we do know that particularly for babies who've had a very significantly high ammonia there are Sadly, some babies who won't survive the neonatal period, particularly if the ammonia hasn't been identified quickly, if maybe they've had a few days of being unwell before that's been identified. And sometimes they can present to us with such a poor neurological state that they are unable to survive that initial period. Um, however, with, with our management, hopefully the baby will be able to survive or to be um, discharged back, back home again. Um, and the long-term outlook is very varied and it very much depends on which disorder the baby has, and on how, the, um, how their illness pans out with further episodes down the line as well. Many of the children are going to require additional support at school, so many of them may have some additional learning issues. Some of them may have motor impacts, depending on the effect of the, the high ammonia on the, on, their, on the brain development. What they will all need is long-term chronic management with the metabolic team and with the wider multidisciplinary team supporting all aspects of their management and um, the longer term management just in outline um, for the disorders affecting protein metabolism will be um, a protein restricted diet and so they will all have a metabolic dietetic specialist who helps to manage their diet ensuring that they're getting the safe minimum amount of protein that they need to be growing but without any excessive amounts of protein and ensuring that we're giving them a nutritionally complete diet so they're getting all the vitamins and minerals they need many of them will also need long-term medications and um, either to help support the normal metabolism or to control the ammonia level so some of those drugs will continue as oral drugs um, depending on the, the situation longer term and then the other thing that's very important is that we give parents advice on how to manage the child if they become unwell because they will pick up coughs and colds normal childhood illnesses and we know that any time a child is unwell with an infection they're at risk of their metabolic condition becoming more unstable again and so we give them effectively sick day rules what to do on a day when the child has become unwell and in that situation the advice would be to stop their normal feeds put them onto a, a an emergency regime feed which is simply a glucose polymer feed which they're taking every few hours to again to take the protein out of the feed and to stop them becoming catabolic but with a very low threshold if they're unwell to go back to hospital to be assessed and seen um, and for us to give advice to the local teams about how to to manage them to try and avoid them having another episode where the ammonia goes so high um, and then longer aspects of the management in clinic will include monitoring their 
neurodevelopmental outcome, looking for any other further complications that can arise in some of these conditions, um, and generally monitoring their growth um, and nutritional um, progress. Great. So, Dr. Davison, is there anything else you'd like to add before we conclude this podcast? I think it's been very useful talking through all these things today. I think the, the key take-home message is to think about metabolic conditions in any sick neonates, to do those early quick tests that we can get done so that we identify the patients early so that we can then start management and don't forget the metabolic team are always available to be contacted for advice, even in the middle of the night. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Gosh Pods. If you would like more information on courses and educational opportunities offered by Gosh Learning Academy, please visit the website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy or follow us on Twitter at Gosh Learn Acad.